Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So we've been in a series called Unshaken Surrender. And what we've been looking at throughout the course of the past few weeks is what it looks like to have perseverance through difficult situations, through difficult relationships, and in difficult circumstances. What does it mean to hang on? And if you heard nothing else today, I just want to encourage you, and we'll hear this encouragement from the Word as we've been journeying through the book of Philippians together in Paul's uh, letter to the church in Philippi. If you heard nothing else this morning, please hear this, Vineyard Cleveland, as I encourage myself as well. Don't give up and don't give in. That's it. Don't give up. Don't give in. Please, we need you. The world needs your voice. You know, the local church is God's vehicle for transformation. It's through the vehicle of the local church, through men and women, broken men and women like you and I, Offering Jesus to the world who desperately needs heavenly solution. Especially in times like these, people are hungry, and in many cases, they don't even know what they're hungry for. And the solution that the world offers just isn't enough to fill the hole. We need Jesus. And so my encouragement to you this morning, those who follow Jesus, is don't give up. Don't give in. There is still hope yet. There is still hope yet. So take that with you. As I've just been processing this week, our passage in Philippians 3, the main thing that stands out to me is not to give up and not to give in. And so we're going to continue to unshake and surrender in Philippians 3. If you wanted to turn there with me or you're at home or wherever or whenever you're tuning in, If you wanted to grab your Bible or uh, swipe there on your app, that would be great. And we're in the third chapter of Philippians. And I wanted to read a couple different versions for you. I wanted to read this wonderful paraphrased version that my friend Joe gave me called Living Letters. And this kind of breaks it down into kind of non-churchy type language. And I just love this translation. So we're going to be in chapter 3. Verses 12 through 21. Don't give up, don't give in. Here we go. This is living letters, and then I'll go back and I'll read it from the NIV. Paul starts off in verse 12, and he just says it like it is. I don't mean to say I'm perfect. I haven't learned all I should even yet, but I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I am still not all I should be, but I'm bringing all my energy to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. I hope all of you who are mature Christians will see eye to eye with me on these things. And if you disagree on some point, I believe that God will make it plain to you. Funny pastoral note there. If you fully obey the truth, you already have. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine 
and notice who else lives up to my example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again now with tears in my eyes, there are many who walk along the Christian road who are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Their future is eternal loss, for their God is good food, and they are poured, they are proud of what they should be ashamed of. And all they think about is this life down here on earth. But our homeland is that of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. And we are looking forward to his return from there. When he comes back, he will take these dying bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same mighty power that he will use to conquer all else everywhere. Now I'm going to read it in the NIV. Just love the word of God here. And if it was only reading different translations of the same passage over and over again, it's well worth the time. In verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen. Paul says it right off the top. He's obtained Nothing. He ha- he's not perfect. And just the rhetorical question here is that, isn't it refreshing when you get around leaders or you get around people who don't have to have everything figured out? Who know that they haven't arrived yet? Isn't it refreshing to be around people? You can just tell by how they speak, how they carry themselves, the depths they've gone with Christ, that they, they know about themselves that they haven't arrived yet. And don't you want to be like that? I find myself, when I get around people who are just down to earth, just salt of the earth, right, and just know that they don't have everything figured out and they haven't arrived yet, I find my heart, saying, I want to be like you when I grow up. You're who I want to be like. And Paul says it right off the bat. I have not arrived yet. I have not arrived yet. And it's a refreshing humility that he brings here in chapter 3. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold 
of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then he, he reiterates, he says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of anything, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. It's this dance that Paul is writing and he's saying, not that I've obtained anything, I haven't really taken hold of anything, but something's taken hold of me. And no doubt Paul is writing from this place of his own story where he's thinking back on when he first met Jesus. Do you remember when Paul first met Jesus on the road to Damascus, right? And then all of a sudden, Jesus shines before him, knocks him off of his horse and blinds him with glory. Blinded by glory, Paul is writing, I have not apprehended anything, but something has taken hold of me. And that something that has taken hold of me, his name is Jesus. I can't help but worship Jesus. I can't help but seek his truth. I can't help but follow him and obey him and say yes to him because I haven't grasped anything yet. But what I do know is that he's taken hold of me. And that's the truth about who Jesus is. Once you fall in love with Jesus, once the glory of God has taken hold of you in such a way, you can't get him off of your hands. You can't escape him in your thoughts. He's ever present. And that's really annoying sometimes, isn't it? He's with you whether you like it or not. During the good, bad, and ugly times, Jesus apprehends us. And it's from this place that Paul says, from this beautiful, refreshing place of humility that Paul says, man, I haven't, I haven't arrived yet. Which is funny because later in the passage he says, hey, follow my example. And typically we as Christians, we like to follow people we think have it all together. Right? Who are the perfect pastor, the perfect leader. Well, you're sitting in a room without perfect pastors. No, let me be the first to be clear on that. Far from it. Gosh, I really resonate with what Paul is saying here, that he's not arrived, but that the glory of God has taken hold of him, has apprehended him. And then he goes on to say in verses 13 and 14 that he's pursuing the final prize. What, what is the final prize that Paul is talking about? In verses 13 and 14, he says this, Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus. What is the prize that Paul is talking about? We said at the outset of this series, of this message series, that it's like there's so much of this high theological thinking of God that's wrapped up in the letter to Philippians, but also that it's at the same time, it's like super practical, and Paul's gonna tell us like it is. What is the prize that we're headed towards? What, are, what is the thing that we're supposed to forget in the past? Well, Paul is no doubt drawing on the Olympic Games here, and he's presenting this picture of what it looks like, what the Christian life looks like, what it should look like. 
And he draws this picture with his words of a race and runners. And Jason Torrance did a great job last week. And remember, he talked about chariots of fire and he talked about um, Eric Little when he was running and he wouldn't, remember, he wouldn't run on Sundays. And, but he, he ran and when he ran, he felt the pleasure of God. And that's why he ran, you know. And so I wanted to draw out this race picture a little bit more this morning and tell you a story about the Miracle Mile. Some of you may be familiar with this. No mile had been run under four minutes before 1954. And then along came a guy named Roger Bannister. And Roger Bannister was the first human being to run a mile in under four minutes. And this race was set up in Vancouver in British Columbia in 1954 between Roger Bannister and John Landy. And the story of the race went like this, that John Landy just shot out from the get. Right from the gates, he was out, and he was flying. And on the final turn, and we know this because of post-race interviews with Landy, that as they rounded the final turn, the final stretch, the home stretch, Bannister started to catch up with Landy. And down the home stretch, Bannister surpassed Landy and ran the first mile under four minutes in human history. And in an interview after the race, Landy said, they said, what happened? You were leading the whole time, the whole race. You were in front, you were in charge, you were in command, you were controlling. And do you know what Landy said? Landy said, I looked back and I saw Bannister gaining and I should have never looked back. If I wouldn't have looked, he says, it's, he's on record, he says, if I wouldn't have looked back, there's no doubt in my mind I would have won that race. And this is the picture that Paul is painting. I can't think of a better analogy or metaphor or word picture for what Paul is saying here. And forgetting what is behind and moving on, pressing on towards the goal. The one thing that Paul is pressing on and pressing towards the prize. Oftentimes we get confused with the good life. What is your one prize this morning? What is my one prize? A lot of times we have this, this picture in our heads of how we think Christian life should be lived and what we'll get, right? If we choose to follow Christ. For some of you, the prize might be an amazing paying job, and that's the prize. For others of you, it might be significance in the eyes of others, or fame, or glory, or whatever it is. But what Paul is saying here is that he's got his eyes on one thing. The prize that Paul is talking about is the person of Jesus. To know and be known by Jesus. And really, if we were to draw this out just a little bit more, what Paul would say to us is this. Hey, listen, church. Listen, Philippians. Listen, Clevelanders. <laughs> there is nothing under the sun that is worth more than knowing Jesus. There is nothing worth more than this prize. This is, 
He is, Jesus is the ultimate prize. And so Paul says, in light of this, in light of Jesus, and Jesus' resurrection from the grave, and his salvation that's working itself out, in my heart, and in us. Remember a couple weeks ago, we said that he's not just writing to us as individuals, he's writing to a church, the church at Philippi. He says, work it out, you guys, all of you. Work it out together. Work it out, church. In light of all of this, in light of the prize that is Jesus Christ, forget what's behind. Forget what's behind. A couple things happen when we remember, remember, even the word remember. Think of like members of your body, right? Your arm is a member of your body. When we remember the past, when we remember those things that hinder us from Christ, we become paralyzed in our growth. We can't move forward if we remember what's gone before. I'm not talking about like the... I'm not talking about like the, the mile markers, the milestones that we set up of God's faithfulness in the past. We're to always remember those, always remember God's faithfulness to us back then. But even those things can hinder growth sometimes. Don't you know? But he's saying, forget what's behind. Forget what's behind. If we constantly remember or piece together what was behind, how we used to be, how we used to live without Christ, we become like John Landy in that race. We become paralyzed when we take our eyes off of the prize, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and begin to turn around and look what's behind us. We lose focus on who the true prize really is. You know, the Jewish people just celebrated a holiday called Purim. You might have heard of it or might have not heard of it. Probably not. It's a minor holiday in comparison to like Passover and that kind of thing. Yom Kippur even. It's a minor holiday. But what it celebrates is the life of Esther in the Old Testament. Do you remember Queen Esther in the Old Testament? And sort of the shorthand form of this story goes that there is this really evil man named Haman And Haman is trying to blot out all of the Jews over the face of the earth. And Haman's trying to kill all of the Jews. And Esther um, and Mordecai, actually, God uses them to preserve the Jewish people and to save thousands, countless lives. And Esther finds favor. She becomes queen. And there's this guy, Haman, and he's just evil. And so they celebrate. The Jews still to this day will celebrate And one of the ways that they celebrate Purim, and you can look it up, we just did it a couple days ago. One of the days that, one of the ways that the Jews celebrate Purim is that they, check it, they write the name of Haman on their shoe in chalk, and then they stamp it out as they walk, so that the name of Haman, the oppressor, of the Jewish people, of God's people, will not be remembered. And I thought, this is such a beautiful picture of what Paul is talking about here in the New Testament. I wonder what it would look like for us if we could imagine for a second something that maybe identified you in your past, something that you... um, 
something that you idolized, something that hindered you from coming to Christ, from growing in relationship with Jesus. I wonder what it would look like for you to to write that on the sole of your shoe as a vivid reminder to stamp that out, to forget what's behind, you see, and to strain on towards what's ahead. And what's ahead is the prize, and his name is Jesus. Yeah, he says, Paul says, he goes full tilt, straining towards the finish line, straining towards Christ. And the question that I found in my heart this week was, is that my posture as we're in this race? The side note here is that you don't get to choose whether you, you're in this race or not. You have a heartbeat, you're in it. You're in the race. You're, you're at one of the starting lines. You're in it. God is, God is working in your story, whether you choose or whether I choose to acknowledge that or not. God is working somewhere in your story. So we're all in the race, right? And the question this week for me was, Evan, is this your posture, posture when Paul talks about, I press on towards the goal the Greek verbiage there is to strain, full t- to run, full. Am I running full tilt towards God? Some of you young folks might be familiar. You're in sports right now. Maybe you play football. Maybe you play soccer. Oh, I remember soccer training camp. I remember at the end of summer after a summer of like relaxing and my mom telling me to get outside, stop staring at the television. Do you guys know that one? (laughs) Go outside, it's a great day. No, summer, I don't have to do anything. And then going into high school soccer and remembering those two-a-days and just running full tilt and getting it and how much uh, agony that our coaches put us through so that we would be in shape and so that when it was the fourth quarter of a tight game or the end of the second half that we wouldn't be gassed, that we would be um, physically able, mature, full enough to carry the game through. And that's what it took. And I just have this picture during those two-a-day practices. I never wanted to do that again. You know, guys are panting and throwing up because we just run and run and run and run until we couldn't run anymore and the muscles are just so sore. Don't give up. Don't give in. That's the posture to be straining toward full tilt. And at times that's going to hurt. And that's not going to be very much fun. But then again, Paul says, in the end, it's worth it. It's worth it, church. It's worth it to attain that which has already apprehended you. Don't give up. Don't give in. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth your life. Full tilt, straining toward the finish line. And then he goes into this example thing. He says, follow me as I follow Christ, essentially. Follow me as I follow Christ. 
That's a tough one for us to hear. And it's a tough one because we've just seen so many examples who have set themselves up as examples and then failed us in the end. But Paul has already said at the beginning, listen, I don't have it all figured out. And that's why this is so refreshing. And that's why I can put my hope in Christ. There's this real past and future kind of motivation thing happening here. He's been apprehended. That happened in the the past. Well, what has he been apprehended for? For glory. That's future. There's this future motivation from which Paul says, hey, I don't have everything figured out. I haven't arrived yet. But follow me as I follow Christ. And then he gives this picture of hopelessness in the world. And this is all that's out there. Here's what's in the world. Let's read it. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And Paul is just giving just this picture of what we already know to be true about the world. Paul is giving this picture of how we used to live before we followed Christ. We gloried, whether we knew it or not, we gloried in some of the shameful things that were a part of our lives. And we lived for things that were temporary. We didn't live for things that were eternal. And what Paul is saying is like, hey, don't live like that any longer. Live this way. Live for things that are eternal, not things that are temporary. Let your God be the God of life, almighty Father God, who feeds you and satisfies your soul and keeps you coming back for more and hunger. Don't let your God be your stomach just of things that pass, things that quickly fade. He's saying, hey, let your destiny be written by the life giver, not by the one who accuses your soul and sends you into shame. The way you used to live, your destiny, your story was headed towards destruction. Let your destiny be commanded by Jesus who brings you life. Jesus writes your story. Jesus commands your destiny. So after this picture of hopelessness, Paul finishes this section with our citizenship. Lots of talk about citizenship today in our culture, for sure. Talks about immigration, who's legal, who's illegal. Paul is saying, hey, that's a moot point for you. Your citizenship is in heaven. You belong to a new race of people. You're not to identify as this or that. You're to identify with Jesus. Because when Jesus died on the cross... And then the Father raised him up by the power of the Holy Spirit. What God did was he began to colonize earth with the life of heaven. Heaven is coming here and heaven is coming through you and I. 
We carry heaven with us. You're part of a new race of which Jesus is the firstborn from amongst the dead. And that same resurrection power, we're told in other places in the New Testament, that same resurrection power lives in you. Yeah, your citizenship is in heaven. That's who you belong to. You belong to Jesus. Yeah, there's no other prize. And that's what I wanted to close with this morning as we move into worship.